Mogul Motivation, empowering and inspiring entrepreneurs and dream chasers worldwide, one week at a time. Presented by True Stories Media, and I'm your host, Antoine Twiz-Taylor. In this episode of Aspire Higher, I'll talk with Dr. Misty Harrison. And like many people in her category, black people who go into the medicine field, she didn't have any immediate representation or examples in her family or community. But she set a goal for herself that she indeed wanted to be a doctor, and she decided to see it through no matter what. Here's a brief insight into her journey. All right. So, Misty, at what point did you decide that you wanted to go into the medical field? So, I think um, I always kind of thought it was one of my career options when I was growing up. Um, I really liked, you know, science as a kid, and then growing up having a few influences and different illnesses pop up in my family. Mm-hmm. I was very intrigued. I participated in this program um, that let high school students go to the medical center that was across from my high school and uh-huh. participate in like basic science research. Um, so that nice. was also eye opening and something that I, you know, really was like, okay, I could probably do this. I could see myself like working in the hospital. Um, and then it wasn't like I thought about it um, in college, and that was mm-hmm. definitely one of the you know career options that I put at the forefront. But then in college, I got introduced to public health as well. Okay. And so I was thinking, you know, I could do this or um, become a doctor. So when I graduated college, I wasn't really sure that I actually wanted to go to med school. Mm. Um, and so it, uh, I did a master's program, and it kind of reaffirmed that I did want to go to medical school. And so after my master's program is when I applied to med school and said, I'm just going to go for it. Mm, so it's, it seems like it was an interest for you for a while. Cause like um, in high school and where did you go to high school? I went to Murrah high school in Jackson, Mississippi, Jackson, Mississippi. Okay. So it seems like ever since like high school, the high school years, you had an interest in, you know, the medical field, but it wasn't like one of those things where he was like, yeah, this is what I want. You know, it wasn't like a, a confirmation or definite yes yet. You know, it took you some years to finally, you know, comb through and filter through your options and say, you know what, this is what I want to do. Yeah, exactly. Like it was definitely like my top career choice, but I wasn't for sure that I like had what it took, you know, personally mm-hmm. to do exactly um, what is required to get through medical school. And why is that though? If you don't mind me asking, like, well, why did you think that you didn't have it? Is it because you didn't know any doctors in your family or community or did exactly. you know? Any? Yeah, I didn't know any doctors in my like family for sure. Um, at least my immediate family. Yeah. And because my great grandparents, you know, they didn't, you know, go to college, barely graduated high school. My grandparents, you know, graduated high school, but didn't go to college. So my mom and my dad were like the first people that I knew that had completed, you know, college. Um, and so neither of them, you know, were interested in the sciences and doing mm-hmm. anything like that. So it was just like a lack of exposure. And I didn't know any black doctors. So yeah. that was kind of that was also kind of like one of the bigger reasons that I chose um, to college to go to um, for uh, undergrad, just because I knew that they had a good reputation for putting out black doctors um, mm-hmm. and black, you know, lawyers. Mm. Mm, okay. So yeah, I, um, that's usually like a crutch that a lot of black professionals have is because a lot of times it's hard for people to be something they haven't seen. 
mm-hmm. you know, um, it's kind of like scary, like going into outer space. You just in the darkness, right? Um, like a black hole. Yep. You didn't know any doctors in your immediate family. Um, most people in your immediate family didn't even step foot on a college campus. And it's crazy how like this story is so universal across the black community. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it usually just, all it takes is just that one mustard seed leap of faith. And, you know, you can get propelled into, you know, the career that you're destined for. You make the decision to go into medical school after grad school, you said, right? Uh-huh. What did you study in grad school? So actually, the program that I did in grad school, um, it was a medical sciences program. And so um, the program that was offered at Mississippi College, which is where I went to grad school, they offered kind of like medical school like courses. And so I figured, well, if I can buckle down, study for these and do well in these, then if this is similar to medical school, then maybe I can do medical school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's exactly what I did. And the program was great. I did well in it. And so that's kind of what gave me the confidence to apply to med school. Mm-hmm. And what med school did you go to? The university of Mississippi. University of Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And when you went to uh med school, tell us about, your experience there? So, yeah, um, I was one of, I guess, 10 people in my medical school class, 10 black people in my medical school class. And the class was maybe like 130 to 140 people. Mm. Um, just to let you know, kind of like how outnumbered um, black people were. And so, mm-hmm. you know, when I got into med school, that's kind of when I realized that the odds were kind of already stacked against me just by sheer numbers um, coming from a family who had no one in medicine. And then, you know, a lot of my classmates, they had, you know, family and like direct parents that were doctors who could give them the advice or resources that they needed to succeed. And so me knowing that um, and being aware of that was eye opening. And so I just realized that I, you know, couldn't Mm -hmm. take this for granted, um, which meant like sacrificing, missing things like birthdays, family events, just so I could study harder to make sure that I got where I needed to be. Um, So I think that was that realization, just making sure that I stayed on top of things, knowing that I was already at a disadvantage um, was kind of, how I got through medical school. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine how overwhelming it could be. I mean, just 10 black students out of a class of a hundred plus, you know, um, it's like, we're all raised a minority anyway, though. Right. You know, no matter what space we are in uh, most of the time, but wow, just 10. So like, I know um, in the classes before me, there were like around the same number or more that started, but that's not everyone that finished. You know, so mm. also being cognizant of that was eye opening. How many finished um, in your class? So there were I think there were 11 that started with me. Um, and then we ended up finishing with 10 just because like some people moved into different classes. Um, some of the people above us moved into our class. Some of the people in my class moved to other classes or some people just didn't finish at all. Mm. Okay. So, um, while you're in medical school, this is, is this the, um, time in a med student's journey, a doctor's journey where you start to figure out what discipline of medicine you want to focus on? Is that, um, at that point, is that when this happens? Yeah, exactly. Um, or unless you have been exposed to, you know, everything early on, 
most mm-hmm. people, at least from my knowledge, um, don't go into med school knowing exactly what they want to do, or at least I didn't. Um, I was I was happy to just, you know, do anything. And so yeah. um, I kind of learned what I wanted to go into just basically from the classes and the subjects that I was most interested in learning about. Um, and then also from the clinical clerkships that you do where you go on different rotations and different departments. And so that's kind of when I realized I really liked the brain. And so uh, I was considering psychiatry and neurology and so ended up doing neurology. Mm, mm, nice. So tell, tell us about neurology. What, what, what was so fascinating about the brain that sucked you in? I mean, I, it's just difficult to explain. Um, uh-huh. So the brain is kind of like a cool puzzle trying to figure out. Um, so basically it's like the only subspecialty where someone can come in, give you the symptoms that they're having and you do an exam and can kind of like what, what we call it is localizing the lesion. You can try to figure out like exactly where they have like a problem in the brain just based off of the mm. symptoms they are telling you and what the physical exam looks like. Mm. Um, and so also disclaimer, um, my mom was diagnosed with a neurologic condition when I was in high school. So that was also ah. something that I was exposed to. So, um, you know, having that going in and, you know, having that experience as being like a kid of someone who's having to see neurologists um, was also kind of an influence for me. Yeah, that's a huge influence, um, you know, and it kind of so it brings me back to, you know, when you was in high school and, uh, you know, you went to those field trips or, you know, those the tours of that medical center that you spoke about. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it seems like that was just, you know, paired with the struggles and the condition that your mom was going through. It, it kind of seems like, you know, that was the spark that pushed you into not just, you know, the medicine field, but neurology as a whole is, is, you know, am I right? It's kind of like in the back of your head, something in your mind said, you know what, I want to tackle this problem. Yeah, for sure. Um, and like, you know, going through it, you know, I try to be open-minded and say, you know, this is not, you know, just because this is what I've been exposed to doesn't mean this is what I want to do exactly. But uh-huh. as, as I went through medical school, I realized, you know, that was a very big influence and it was something that I was most interested in learning about. So for sure, that was a, that was definitely like a spark. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Um, is, is neurology like a, are there many sub-disciplines within neurology or is it like a one-shoe-fits-all type of um, area? Oh, there's so many different subspecialties within neurology. Um, mm-hmm. So I am at a pretty big academic medical center. And so um, there's at least like, you know, seven or eight that I can name off the top of my head. And I happen to be going into a fellowship uh, next year. And the fellowship is strictly just multiple sclerosis and neuroimmunology. So learning how the immune system interacts with the brain and the nervous system. And where where um, will you be doing your fellowship at? Um, I'll be doing my fellowship in Baltimore at Johns Hopkins. What is the relationship between the brain and the immune system? Um, So to kind of understand that, um, you have to understand what the immune system does primarily. 
So the immune system has cells that kind of go around the body and provide surveillance and looking for things that are foreign to our bodies, um, things like bacteria or viruses. Um, and so the immune system has cells that attack these things that are foreign, but sometimes the immune system can get confused and mistakenly identify different parts of the body that are actually not foreign mm. and attack the normal cells in the body. So um, that would cause an autoimmune disorder. And so when your immune system launches an attack against the normal nervous system tissue, like the brain or spinal cord, for example, this would be classified as you know, a neuroimmunologic disorder. And that's kind of how they interact as far as um, creating things like multiple sclerosis, where um, the immune cells attack the normal myelin in the brain and spinal cord. And how does that impact the mental health of an individual? Yeah, so um, specifically for um, multiple sclerosis, which is the, the you know, condition that is the biggest thing in neuroimmunology, um, people who you know, have conditions where their immune system is attacking their brain can be left with things like physical deficits. And what by that, I mean things like, you know, numbness, tingling on one side of the body or the other, or, you know, inability to walk, inability to move, you know, mm -hmm. arms and legs very well. And so for someone who was pretty active in, um, you know, this, this condition usually gets diagnosed when people are young, like 20s to 40s. Um, kind of when you're in your prime. And so being left with, you know, those kind of um, disabilities so young affects people in so many ways. People, you know, just by sheer nature get depression um, as a comorbid condition with a diagnosis like that or pretty much any other neurologic diagnosis because um, the brain is not as healthy as like a normal person. So um, we see a lot of depression with, with that as well. And so mm. usually you'll, you'll find that people are often on, you know, antidepressants with um, a diagnosis such as multiple sclerosis. But it's not to say that people can't do all that they want to do. It's just acknowledging that, you know, this is something that is happening to you um, that, you know, is not necessarily happening to everyone else. And we want to kind of like support you through it. Um, and also we realize that this is not a very easy thing to deal with. Because if you told me, like, if you told me, you know, right now I was going to get diagnosed with the condition where I'd have to be put on, you know, medications for the rest of my life to control the amount of disability that I get, I would definitely, you know, um, have some thoughts about it and be depressed as well. Yeah. Has there been a lot of uh, progress in regards to figuring out ways to prevent it before it start? Has that been a breakthrough at all or no? So no, um, yeah. it's, it, you can't really predict who is going to get it. Like there's a lot of different studies um, that are kind of like trying to show associations between like who's more likely to get it, but honestly, we don't know. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's uh, different, uh, different studies that show that the, you know, the latitude that you live at is a factor of people who live in like, you know, the 
you know, north or more cold areas are more prone to get it because they are exposed to less sun. So vitamin D has also been shown to play some role in it, um, but no one really knows why exactly people get it. You know, you just mentioned something interesting and it just uh, sparked a thought because um, someone I know, they live in a cold state. Um, they live here in the Midwest and they just purchased a home in California. And he said the main reason he did it was because his wife is battling multiple sclerosis. Uh, hope I said it right. She's battling that. And, you know, he said that's why he bought a home in California because, you know, he wanted her, he wanted to get her out of those brutal winters. Um, so what you just said, just, it, it made everything make sense now. I'm like, Oh, okay. So that's why, like, cause I didn't under, I didn't fully understand and I didn't want to um, be too invasive or ask too many questions about why that is. Um, but maybe you can expound. So like the, the cold weather literally like intensifies this type of thing. Not necessarily intensifies it. Um, but yeah, it can be most definitely uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, so people that have multiple sclerosis or any other autoimmune um, illness have the... Um, have the ability to develop what we call some something called Raynaud's phenomena in cold weather, where basically like your fingers turn different colors um, mm -hmm. in response to, you know, the cold weather changes and basically like the blood flow being reduced there. Um, and so it can be really painful. Yeah. Um, and so I, I'm not sure exactly what your friend's wife is going through, but I imagine like the, the cold weather is not, you know, if, if it's manifesting like that through her hands, then no, no telling what the rest of her body is like as well. You're currently the chief resident in your residency. Is that correct? Yeah. So there is in my residency, we, we have a pretty big residency. There's five chiefs, but I'm one of the administrative chief residents. And what are your roles in that position? So, um, my, so there's a lot of different responsibilities that come with that. Um, one of my bigger roles, um, was scheduling kind of around this time last year when we were, uh, picked for the positions. Uh, so basically we make the schedule for the entire residency. Um, recruitment is also a big thing. So we're the ones that are kind of at the forefront of residents, like recruiting, um, new medical students to come to our program. And then, you know, just day-to-day -day admin tasks, someone calls in sick, I find someone to replace them, um, you know, making different schedule changes to help people um, do the things that they want to do, like go to conferences and whatnot. Um, and then the, the whole COVID pandemic mm -hmm. kind of threw a wrench in things as well. So like trying to figure out like how to work the schedule around, you know, doing COVID ICU shifts and whatnot for us. Um, I can only imagine how <laughs> hectic that can be, you know, on top of all your other duties. Now you got to deal with COVID, you know, COVID really has threw a monkey wrench in everything, right? Um, since 2020. Yeah, exactly. How many black chief residents have been in your residency or currently in your residency? Are you the only one? I did ask this question a while back. I'm not really sure how many um, black chief residents there have been, but I know of at least like two others before me. So one was a woman and one was a man who's still on faculty at WashU. Um, the, so there's, there's at least, I think, 
for black residents in my um, in the current residency. And last year we also had four, um, but one of them graduated, so we got one more this year. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, four out of forty-four. But honestly, for a neurology program, that's actually pretty good. Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, what year is this in your residency? What year are you in? So I'm in my fourth year of residency. Um, so it's my last year of residency. Last year, and then you go to the fellowship at John Hopkins, correct? Mm -hmm. And what will you be doing there in your fellowship? So I will be studying multiple sclerosis more, um, learning how to do clinical trials. Um, so basically, clinical trials are used for, you know, the new medications that will come out to help people with multiple sclerosis. And so you have to study it pretty well before you can actually give it to, you know, the general population. And so I'll be learning how to conduct those studies and, you know, doing things safely, um, making sure the medications work. And so that's primarily what I'll be doing. Um, but I'll also be seeing patients in clinic as well. No, oh, okay. So um, you will basically wrap up whatever your duties are now just to another level, so to speak. Yeah. And specifically in, you know, multiple sclerosis and neuroimmunology. And how long will you be at John Hopkins? So my, um, I'm, it's between, it's going to be somewhere between two and three years. Um, it depends on kind of like how far I get in the two years. And then if I figure out that I still need more time, then I can do the third year as well. Hmm. And then after the third year, you will be, you know, full blown on the front line yeah. battling MS. That's beautiful. Um, so what, what do you see yourself like in the future? Like we're, we're, we're talking about after fellowship, you know, uh, we're talking, you know, later on down the line. What do you see yourself um, in this medical medical world navigating and battling these uh, conditions? So right now, I feel like I've kind of uh, pigeonholed myself based on my interest into doing academic medicine. That means like being in an academic medical center so that I can, you know, have the resources to do research and focus on um, specifically multiple sclerosis. Um, and then, you know, I when I got into all of this, um, I was just thinking about like, you know, uh, medical school and doing neurology has helped me learn about all the things that I, you know, didn't quite have the understanding of. And, and still, like, there's so much to explore. Um, and so I just want to be able to, you know, be a familiar face for people um, who are not used to seeing, you know, black neurologists specifically, and then help educate them and heal people in need. So um, hopefully I can do that through an academic medical center. Now you're doing it like you're the inspiration for someone else uh, from, you know, your hometown and your family. Now you can be the example for others, you know, to follow into in your footsteps. And, you know, even if they don't want to go into neurology, the fact that you're a doctor and you're black <laughs> and you're a woman, um, I think that alone you've already surpassed the odds and beat the odds. Well, you know, that that's what we say now, but hopefully, um, hopefully like more people will be inspired to, you know, do it and, you know, see it through. Um, because like, you know, there, there could be a lot of like discouraging factors, um, for people to actually complete it, like people wanting to start families and things like that. 
Um, I just made it my priority to say, you know, school is what I'm doing now, so I'm not going to, like, have any distractions. Um, but, yeah, I've definitely seen people have, have it all, though, have, like, you know, family and also um, go through medicine. Um, but I would say, you know, if I, were, if I were to have, like, you know, be married, have a family right now, there will probably be some problems because, like, you can't work 80 hours a week and be away from your family and then there not be problems. What would you say was your central motivation throughout your entire journey? I'm talking throughout undergrad, grad school, med school, your residency, and carrying on into your fellowship. What was that central desire that said, you know what, I may be only one of 11 or 10 black students, but I can't stop. Um, you know, I'm tired. I've been working 80, 90 hours a week, but I can't stop. What would that be if you had to nail it down to one thing? Um, well, for me, it's like when I, when I set a goal, I want to see it through. Um, so when I, when I set the goal to, you know, go to medical school and become a doctor, you know, I was not going to stop until I got to my goal. And I'm still not completely at my goal because I'm still in training. So yeah. um, that that and then just, um, you know, seeing the people around me, like, you know, and my siblings who kind of look up to me, it's just like, well, if I quit, then it shows them that it's OK to quit. And I don't want to be I don't want to be that example for them. Just like having like those influences around you, like, like you know people are looking up to you, just like, okay, well, now I have to pull it together to make sure that I'm the best example that I can be. If this podcast has benefited you in any way, shape, or form, I ask for two things as always. Number one, leave a five-star review. And number two, pass it on to a friend who may benefit from it as well. A new episode of Mogul Motivation will be out this Wednesday.